Hi, welcome to the Price of a Mile podcast. I'm Woody Kincaid. The podcast is hosted by Kittyus Magazine, a new hub for distance running. And today, I'll be interviewing my fellow teammate, Evan Jager. So me and Evan are in Albuquerque right now, getting ready for USA Indoors. Uh, I'll be running the two mile, Evan will be running the mile. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to record this podcast. Uh, it will be a monthly podcast. This is the second time we've tried tonight, maybe like the fifth. So just give us a little bit of, uh, I don't know, just just give us, understand that we're talking about this a long time. Okay, so this is actually our fourth time at trying to produce the first episode of this podcast. Uh, I already interviewed Evan once today, and we're gonna continue. <laughs> we're gonna just get straight into it uh, because we've already had so many introductions. So, Evan, the the first question I asked you when we first got here, um, do you do you remember what it was? Uh, something about moving out to portland something was something with jerry or no yeah I, it was um what were you when when you were with wisconsin what when did you decide that you wanted to go with jerry oh yeah so i mean so to give a little background story um <clears throat> at the end of my freshman year at wisconsin um after the ncaa meet jerry uh, had a team meeting with us all and told us all that he was going to be leaving Wisconsin, uh, moving out to Portland and coaching a small professional group uh, sponsored by Nike uh, in Portland. And um, so immediately, I think like most of the teammates there, I was like a little upset and kind of started thinking about what I was going to be doing. And initially I was either thinking of staying at Wisconsin or transferring somewhere else. Um, and uh, I continued training for the U.S. Junior Championships. And um, like I think about a week after Jerry told us, uh, he pulled me aside when I was working out for, for uh, juniors. And um, he was basically like, hey, um, what would you say if... I told you you could move out to Portland and uh, train professionally with us. And like immediately I told him, I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then he's like, why don't you think about it? And then we'll talk about it and get back to me. So then I went back and forth for about a month and then um, finally decided on moving out to Portland. So it, it was kind of, I didn't really decide to go out to Portland until like it was made apparent to me, but um, I fully expected to be at the University of Wisconsin for four or five years before that point. And um, I kind of, when it was brought up to me, I kind of just thought that uh, moving out to Portland and becoming a pre professional, like four years ahead of schedule was going to just benefit me. Um, I would be four years ahead of my peers, kids that were my class, and uh, I'd be ready to make that jump to the the world 
level um, before they would. And yeah, I, I think it was it was definitely beneficial for me. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, after that, we all know what happened. Following that decision, you went on to go to two Olympics, sixth and once, and uh, you know, second in the in the most recent uh, Olympics in Rio, and and of course some some great world championship performances. Maybe Beijing is not what you wanted, <laughs> but uh, who was Evan Jager before all this? Um, so far back as like eighth grade, who? What we, where would you think you were going then? Um, I mean, God, eighth, we've already eighth, asked all these questions twice. It's like, ah, here we yeah. go. But um, eighth grade, I mean, I was, I, I had basically just gotten into running. Uh, I started running in seventh grade and um, did it again in eighth grade because I, I really enjoyed it and I was pretty good at it. So um, I think eighth grade was probably about the time when I, I started thinking about um like wanting to be a professional runner. And, uh, I think like track season in eighth grade, like I was, um, I was working really hard and like trying really hard to break the five minute mile. And it was kind of made a, a, like a somewhat big deal in the school. So like I started getting some recognition at that point for like, like being a good runner. And I think that's when the dream started. I was like, well, like this is pretty fun. Like I, I love doing it. I just love racing. I love training. I just love running in general. Like I just want to keep doing this as long as I can. And I, if I if I can, I want to be a professional runner. But like at that point, I had I had no clue what that meant. I just knew I enjoyed doing it and wanted to continue doing it. I think a, a lot of people don't really know what that means. Even people, uh, what what it means to be a pro runner. I mean, like even. Yeah people who are going to be pro runners they still don't know what it means until yeah. they, they finally do it yeah for for sure i mean you don't know what the lifestyle is like coming from especially from college where your your day is so regimented and you've got so much on your plate um like professional running is just so different you have to be completely self-driven you don't have i mean like in our case we have teammates but like if if i run poorly it doesn't really affect you you know Whereas like on a college team, you're, you're fighting for your team. So you, you like, you're dependent on your teammates. So you have to be completely self-driven and that can be hard sometimes. I, I think because, um, you can get like kind of caught up in just the grind of training and kind of lose track of what you're doing, I assume. And, uh, I think it's, our situation is, is really nice. We have a lot of people to keep each other accountable. Um, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's just a different lifestyle. And for sure, when I was eighth grade and in high school, I had no clue what being a professional runner meant, but, um, it just like, I knew college was the next step after high school and then professional was the next step after college. So, um, Ideally, I wanted to just keep taking those steps. Now, I think uh, something I think about pretty often is is sometimes I feel like there I'm just taking the steps that a lot of times that you're supposed to take. Right? I knew, okay, I'm in high school. I'm going to go to college next. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of you kind of uh, didn't do that. I, yeah. I, uh, kind of took the path less less taken. Yeah. 
did anybody ob- object to that or did you, were you feel like Yeah, scared? I mean, well, no no one um, no one close to me objected to it, I, I guess. Uh, when I was making the decision, a bunch of, obviously a bunch of my teammates at Wisconsin wanted me to stay at Wisconsin. I, I don't think necessarily selfishly, but um, I think that, like, obviously you become really close even even in your first year like you're surrounded by the guys 24 7 basically so um some of the guys on the team wanted me to stay probably a little bit for the good of the program but also maybe for other reasons just personal reasons um sounds suspicious uh, (laughs) i don't know whatever i i I can't i i wasn't in their head so I, i don't know what they were thinking but um I, my friends were super supportive. My my parents were incredibly supportive. Um, the only stipulation they gave me was that I finished my schooling, and I, I've done that. And um, I was, I mean, I told them I wanted to run professionally, and my parents were like, yeah, that sounds great. If that's what you want to do, totally go for it. Um, they trusted Jerry, and, uh, and I trusted Jerry as well. So kind of... Yeah, had that, but uh, there was I'm I'm almost positive that like I can guarantee that a lot of or some of the NCAA guys were probably like, who does this kid think he is? Like he's barely done anything. Why does he think like he can go pro? Or mm-hmm. like why does Nike why why is Nike giving him like a shoe contract? Like he's run three forty one and that's it. Like. I, I and you were you were all American once. I was all American. No, twice. twice. I mean DMR, I guess. <clears throat> DMR okay. and then outdoors in the fifteen. Um Eighth place. Eighth place. Count it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so nothing obviously like nothing I wasn't setting the world on fire like um I was the top freshman, but like Leo Manzano was on absolute fire that year and he was like he obviously deserved a pro contract. Um, he blew the NCAA field away and, um, yeah. So I, I could see like a lot of my peers being like, why is he doing this? Like he's not even that good. But, um, for me, it was kind of, it's a classic well, jealous for, runner. He's not, even <laughs> he's not, he's not. Well, for me, it was like, I, I knew, um, even if I had stayed at Wisconsin for the next four years, uh, I knew that I wanted to go back to being coached by Jerry after I graduated. And that was part of the discussion we had. And he was like, well, like, why not just like leave college and stay with me and not kind of switch training philosophies for four years and then come back and, Mm -hmm. um, all that other stuff. And, um, it it just i think it just made sense to me and it was more of like i got a contract in in good faith um kind of via jerry that i would improve and um be worth this small amount of money that they were paying me in the future so um yeah i i don't think i mean nike i don't think risked all that much taking me in and um like Maybe I risked a little bit uh, giving up my like well, collegiate running career, but uh, I th- in in my mind it was worth it. Yeah, and uh, I guess you could say you risked, and you actually 
failed uh, at the start, you know? Like, you took this risk of, of being a pro runner, and you got injured pretty quickly. Well, yeah, I wouldn't uh, say I failed right. I mean, I made the world championship right. team my first year, but... <laughs> I feel like we should edit that out. Uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I did have, like, a really bad two years after that first year. So, like, I got hurt, and um, I think I ran, like, maybe two races and then got injured um, in 2010 and had surgery. So, like, basically that entire year is gone. And then spent all of 2011 coming back from surgery, and those were all shit performances, and, like, I could barely finish a 1,500, like, around anyone. Like, I was... I could stay with the guys until the kick, and then i just, like, get dusted, and I wasn't strong enough to run any 5Ks. So I was in this really weird space where... I was just going out and competing and getting like my ass handed to me every single time and it it wasn't fun and I could I couldn't finish any workouts cuz like I wasn't fit enough to and I was playing catch up so I mean it it was a rough 2 years for sure I didn't like I w- wasn't really having that much fun um but I like kind of knew that going into 2011 that I just needed to get through um, that season and grind and work on like hurting in races and like getting used to that pain again. And then, um, hopefully stay healthy and just gear up for a, like a solid 2012. So that, that was my main focus. And I had that conversation with Jerry going into those years and, um, I knew what to expect, but it it still sucked and it wasn't fun for sure. Right, and I know I already asked you this once tonight. Uh, it's pretty depressing, but I, I think it was—it was a genuine response, and, and a lot something a lot of runners deal with when you were going through injury. Uh, what what really went through your mind, and, and how long did it really take you to come out of injury and be like, okay, I'm back? Yeah. So um, I had I had the surgery. Uh, I think it was July of 2010. And so, like, obviously, like, I was on crutches. I, I couldn't aqua jog because, like, I had, I had the stitches in and they didn't want me in the pool. Um, they didn't want me sweating in the cast. So, like, I couldn't be on the bike. I couldn't do anything for a while. So, um, it, was, it was a nice mental break. I wasn't able to do anything. So, I just went back home and hung out with my friends and family and, uh, took like time away from the sport i didn't watch track i didn't pay attention to track for a couple months and um obviously i didn't want to because i wish i wished that i had been running instead of being hurt so um that was a couple months and then by the time i like was off of crutches uh i i was walking in the boot for like eight weeks i think and then by the time i got the boot off it was, I think, early November, and that was the first uh, the first time since June that I was able to do any sort of um, any sort of exercise, basically, because I, I broke my foot in June, had the surgery in July, and then started biking in November for the first time. So I was like, obviously, way out of shape. I hadn't done anything, and. Um, <laughs> it sucked and yeah and uh oh yeah super doughy oh my gosh i mean probably get pretty doughy i get i get doughy as it is like even in like 
two or three weeks, just normal off season mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Jerry loves to comment on it and make fun of me, but it's really obvious. So yeah, I, I got out of the boot and started, um, biking early November and basically had two, two months of biking. I basically did 60 minutes a day every day and just biked as hard as I could for those 60 minutes. And that, that was like all I could handle mentally. So it sucked. It was like not fun. Obviously like everyone hates cross training. It, it sucks. And especially I would show up to Nike and bike and the guys like I was carpooling out with Simon and like I would go for a bike and he would go for a run. And I just knew, I knew what I was missing out on and it just annoyed me. And I just wanted nothing more than to be able to go outside and just do what I love to do. So that, that was the hardest part for me. And, um, it was still, I think I started running outside the beginning of the year. So it was a full six months off of running. Um, and it was incredibly hard. And, um, I, it, it get, I, I guess the question I want to know is, is, I mean, I have that limit too. Like after, I think a lot of people are just after 60 minutes, they just can't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but what, what, what was the mental state like? I guess you obviously you're going through all yeah. this. It's horrible. But uh, is there any time you're just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I mean, no, I, I never got to the point where I, it was like enough is enough. It was, it was more like just questioning and, and doubting things. Um, I, I remember lots of times going in and sitting on the bike and being like this, why am I doing this? This is not, this is not what I signed up for. Like, I don't enjoy biking. Like I'm not trying to be a professional biker. Like, <laughs> I just want to be outside running every day. Like I don't, I don't care. And then you got to just kind of reassure yourself, like, this is helping you to become a better runner, like, once you are healthy enough to get out there. And then uh, a couple weeks would go by, and then, like, I would get, like, just a little down again. And um, and then you start questioning on, like, oh, well, shoot, like, is my foot ever going to heal? Like, is it going to heal the same way? Because I still have this pain in my foot. Um I like when I can run outside, am I going to be able to run normally? Am I ever going to get back to the same athlete that I was before the surgery? So like all these things start going through my head and like, it's incredibly hard because, um, like you've got teammates and everything, but I'm the only one on the bike day in and day out. So just like surrounded with my thoughts, like every day, I think, uh, maybe it's my own paranoia, but the teammates actually, uh, sometimes hurt. So when I'm trying to get back, because I have all, the, when, when I was injured, I would be trying to get healthy again. And I always felt like, oh man, the teammates are, are don't, don't question what I'm doing. Or, or, or. No, I never had that. I, I guess. So that just reminded me of something that I haven't thought about for a long time. And it was, um, so Bumbleo actually joined, I, I, I probably, I don't think I've ever told anyone about this, but um, Bumbleo actually joined the team in the fall of 2010 um and i was on crutches so the first time that like we were teammates i was on crutches and like hadn't run for two months and then um we all like we went to hawaii in november and so like the first 
two months of us being teammates, I was not running. So like I I felt like crap about that. And but you he, were crushing. He, he was a younger guy, and when he came out to Portland, I would get super jealous that like not only him but the rest of the guys were getting to go out and work out and run every single day. And I thought of it as, well, I'm in here on this bike and they're out there, they're running and they're getting fitter. Like they're like distancing the fitness level between themselves and myself, like every single day. And I would see them go out every single day and just get more and more jealous about not being able to be out there and like, just kind of just, do what I signed up for and do what I enjoyed doing. So that was the hardest part for me. Like it, it would have been, I think easier for me, like say I was training on my own to go to the gym and just cross train every day instead of like looking out over the Ronaldo field while I was biking, seeing them either doing like strength repeats on the grass field or like starting their run every single day so it it sucked it sucked a lot um and that was definitely the hardest part for me yeah it's uh, interesting that you say that bumby was a younger guy too uh i think he's two years older older than you yeah but i mean he was he was with (laughs) within my age range compared to the other guys yeah so he came in and he kept getting fitter and fitter and i and i kept like I obviously like showed up to practices and I would go out and watch them work out sometimes. And Jerry would just be like, man, Bumby's getting really fit. Like he's, he's doing really well. And I'd be like, damn it, Jerry. Like I'm in the, like I'm on the bike every single day. And all he, all he would comment on would be like how fit the guys were getting. And it just like tore me up inside and I just hated it. And I'm sure he did it on purpose to kind of mind freaking you yeah he tried to motivate me and i i think i was like kind of aware of it at the time but it worked and like it got me motivated to like work my butt off and try and get back to being healthy and running outside again yeah there there is that question is do you want your coach to mind freak you or do you want you or do you want him to tell you how it is um or a little bit it depends on who you are uh i think I think I, I want to be mind freaked a little bit. I do too. Um, Manipulate me. Yeah. It's, it's, there's definitely some things because it, it tricks you. And if, if he, if he knows the athlete, like he can get you motivated without even telling you, you need to be motivated, you know, in yeah. a way, if he's being cryptic about it, but uh, there's definitely some things where he needs to sit, like a coach will need to sit you down and like tell you straight. Yeah. But, uh, I think if he knows how to motivate you without making it apparent, I think that's, you got to do that. Make like he would, I mean, he was great with Selinski about that. Like, I don't know. Selinski's easily excitable and, um, they, they like bashed heads a lot, but I mean, best friends now. Yeah. Jerry knew. Yeah. Jerry knew how to get the best out of Selinski and it pissed Selinski off when he would do those things, but it, it worked. Right. And he, I mean, he obviously got insanely fit. So I only know Slinsky as this stoic figure. <laughs> yeah, because he was a, he was an assistant coach while I was at University of Portland. Yeah, me and Woody have very different views of Slinsky. Yeah. <laughs> like completely opposite views of Slinsky. According according to the team, uh, Slinsky's uh, closest to the character of the Hound. If we were if we were comparing them In to Game, Game of Thrones, yeah. um, he's the Hound. 
So yeah. he's very, but how he's would, not how excitable. Would you he's him. Like, what was your view of him? If you had to pick a Game of Thrones, he was character. just a really calm coach. He just give he just give you a little push in the right direction. Yeah, but if if you had to pick a Game of Thrones character, who who he would was, you have he picked? was Ned Stark. He was Ned. He was Ned Stark. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I was very impressionable. Yeah. He could have been any. He, he, I mean, you stand in his. You know, he was a big runner. Oh, it's just he's the hound. Yeah, he's the hound. Yeah. For, let's just go through this real quick. Um, Solinsky's the hound. Solinsky was the hound. Uh, um, so Dan Dan Healing's little finger. <laughs> um, Dan's incredibly manipulative. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dan, Dan's. We'll see. We'll have him on the show. He can stand up for himself. Uh, CD Chris Derrick is Tyrion. Yeah, the best character in the show. It's and that's fitting. Um, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, no, it's. I'm, it's, I'm it's jealous, but maybe that's that's why I look at CD <laughs> uh-huh. so bug-eyed. Uh, Ryan Hill is Varys. Oh, Varys. Yeah, Varys, the eunuch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I guess I could see it. Yeah, um, Elliot I think was, he's too cool. Varys is very cool-headed, actually. Yeah, Ryan's yeah. Ryan's and, very cool-headed. Yeah. Um. Never misses a beat. Um. Uh, who is I going to say next? I want to know who oh. Jon Snow is. We didn't have a Jon Snow. Because um, everyone wants to be Jon Snow. I think, yeah, everyone wanted to be Jon Snow, and he's, like, you <laughs> Clinically can't... depressed Jon Snow. No one, no one really looks at his but he's, character. he's a savior. He's a savior, but he's like, if I knew Jon Snow in real life... All right, I digress. But it, he just wouldn't be great around to have around. I'd be like, stop, Jon. He's always so mopey. You know, but same with like uh, Samuel Tolley loved him. Yeah. <laughs> well, look what happened to Ollie too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyways, um, who who else? Uh, oh wait, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I got. Oh, <laughs> Colleen was Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who's who's uh, what's the Lannister? The the guy that Cersei's. Oh wait, can't say that. Uh, don't want to spoil it Bumby oh yeah everyone should be watching Game of Thrones yeah everyone probably if you haven't watched Game of Thrones you need to get on it they already saw it um hit Woody up for his HBO login and help (laughs) you out I've been giving it out like candy uh yeah that that was very entertaining we went through a lot of um uh our whole group and then we yeah I was the guy that that's that's uh the mom gets thrown into the abyss I'm like always like I was like a full grown child oh, yeah. on the, the teat of the team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I don't was, think that ever has changed. Not yet. No. Yeah. You've got a long way to go. But, but yeah, we were we were talking about uh, the 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 poop flinging. Uh, were we? And the interview. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. The last interview. Yeah. That we had. Uh, and you were saying that uh, you got four years of poop slinging. Yeah, Woody's interested in poop flinging. Do you want to give him a background on what poop flinging is? Um, yeah, yeah. So when a new bamboo is looking for a new herd or, or group, what a what is a boo, what is a I I don't know. Family, it's a group of, like of a, bamboo. A when a new bamboo comes into the group, then the <laughs> the male bamboos will fling poop at this bamboo until uh, until a female grooms them and accepts and. Which basically adopts their practices and accepts them into the family yeah. basically 
and so Woody's in this scenario, been- I've had poop flung at me for five to six months, but Jager has had it for four years. Yeah. Yeah. I think Woody was surprised to hear that. I, I think you're surprised to hear that I ever got poop flung at me, but, uh, definitely surprised that I got poop flung at me for four years. Cause obviously I, I joined or when we all moved out to Portland, um, it was, I mean, it was Tuggin camp, Solinsky, Simon Byru, uh, Tim Nelson and Jonathan Riley. And I was, I was the youngest, I was 19. And I think, um, Solinsky turned, I think he turned 24 that first. No, no, 23. So we were, uh, Solinsky was the closest in age to me and he was, I think four years older than me. Um, so it was a big difference, especially at that age. Like I was pretty young. They were out of college, kind of definitely matured. And, uh, I was the baby of the team for a while. And then two years go by. And then in the fall of 2010, um, Bumby joined and he was two years older than me. Called him Bambi. Bambi, Bumby, Bumbleo. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew. Uh, no one calls him that. No. Um, he was, yeah, so he was two years older than me. So I was, I was still the baby of the group. And then Lopez joined, uh, I believe it was, um, in like the start of 2011. And obviously he's, older than I am as well. So I was still the baby of the group. So I didn't graduate from being the baby until uh, the end of 2012 when German, uh, Elliot Heath and Chris Derrick all joined the group. And then I finally had kids my age and um, was still getting poop flung at me from the older guys, but it was kind of spread out to the other guys as well is spread out between me, CD, Elliot and German. So I, I got a lot of poop flung at me tons, tons and tons of poop flung at me over the course of the four years. Cause I want to give you a voice here. Um, is there anything you want to set the record straight? I've asked you this twice <laughs> and I know there's something out there you want to set straight. Oh, uh, there, there's nothing major. Um, like I've said two times before, um, I, I, I haven't really had too much like controversy surrounding me. Um, I don't think there's been very many people to overly criticize me negatively, um, in my career. Fortunately, um, I feel like I've been able to stay away from, um, I don't know, just bad press, I guess. Um, yeah, you don't get the vultures very often. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I try not to be an ass, you know. <laughs> so I just try to be nice to people, and um, yeah, I, and I try to, I I obviously try to be the best athlete that I can be. So like I'm I'm obviously trying to run fast. So and things have gone well for me the last five years. So um, I think people would rip on me more if I had bad years. Um, but anyways, um, I would say, uh, if there was, I mean, any one thing that I, um, my second year out and I, I feel like, I don't know if it was let's run or wherever, but I feel like people put blame on Jerry for like getting me injured and like pulling me out of school and, um, like, working this young kid too hard and like getting him injured and 
me having to get surgery. So obviously like it wasn't Jerry's fault. There was a lot of things that I did that went into like me getting injured. Um, I tried messing around with my shoes a little bit because I've got a leg length discrepancy. And, uh, I think that was the main reason why I got injured. So, um, uh, yeah, honestly, I can't really think of, um, any like super mean stuff that people have said about me that I like am like holding on to like mm-hmm. in the bottom of my heart or deep <laughs> you <laughs> so, have to have a grudge. Yeah. I can't be the only one. Um, I, I do. What do you, I, I mean, it. I just run with the chip. I, I don't know. I always have a grudge against someone. I think mine would be, uh, it'd be the Oregon ducks, the Oregon ducks for not. Uh, no, I just, you? it's just in, ingrained in me, uh, not just for recruiting me. I, I went to Portland and I just, Everything, everything they uh, they stand for, like just huge. I don't know. It's basically being a pro runner from from being the age of eighteen. What you did, except going to a school, but I think it's kind of a a facade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So of course I, I like you know I'm a very I once I get like I hate the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know. You know, like I just once I get something in my head, it's hard for me to just let it go. Okay. But yeah, what, what were we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I can't, um, I don't think I have, I didn't really get shunned by anyone, I would say. Uh, yeah, the running gods have smiled on you, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I've been very lucky, fortunate. Okay, well, I guess the question is then, when we get to the, the name of this podcast, The Price of a Mile, mm-hmm. it's about the cost of life that you give up for just a short distance like to make it to make it faster short distance like a hundredth of a second faster yeah in the 5,000 what do you feel like you've made any sacrifices that other people haven't with other people in the sport or just people in general so I guess the people in general and then the sport okay I said people in general um I, I mean yeah I I feel like um moving across country and like adopting the professional runner's lifestyle where um, like I don't get to see my, I mean, it's not every professional, but uh, in my circumstance, I I had to move cross country and um, with the way that the group is run, I only get to go home um, usually only twice a year, once in the fall after the season and then once for like Christmas. And it's usually for like a week at at a time. So I have obviously given up a ton of time being with my family, being with my friends, um, people that I just miss on a daily basis and um, don't get to interact with and just be around as much as I wish I could. Um, And that's obviously not a part of every professional runner's lifestyle. A lot of people are still able to train where they grew up or in the same vicinity, same part of the country. Um, but also like the professional runner's lifestyle is not nearly as, uh, um, relaxed, I guess I would say as, uh, like the everyday person. Um, I, I haven't been able to like truly enjoy like a summer, um, Except for when you were injured. When I was, yeah, when I and had surgery. Uh, and you were finished the K guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't been able to just kind of 
sit at home, uh, sit in the sun, drink a beer, like, I don't know, go like cliff jumping in a water hole, like for fun. I did that. Well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't spent a summer in the States since, yeah, since I was injured basically. So, um, there, I mean, those are things that I, I really miss doing. I, I miss snowboarding. Uh, I miss just enjoying summer, summertime and, um, being able to take weekend trips whenever I want, um, being able to do like fun, adventurous stuff whenever I want. Cause I'm constantly worried about not worried about getting injured, but if I were to get injured doing something other than running, um, I would, yeah, it would just hang over me and I know it would haunt me. So, um, there's a lot of things that you have to give up in order to kind of be at a, a very high level, I, I think. And, and those are things that I'm going to experience again at some point, but I just am putting them off for close to 20, 20 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what I think the big secret is, is that uh, our lives, it's great because I'm doing a podcast on runners are incredibly boring. Yeah. We go to these fantastic places. Yeah. Fantastic. And they, we will not be able to see them really. Yeah, I mean, there's. I've been to so many cool places, and um, for the most part, in all these cities all over the world, I've seen uh, the inside of the hotel and the track that I compete at. And generally, that's that's what the racing uh, kind of circuit, quote unquote, circuit is like. Um, you want to do everything you can to like compete at your best. And that kind of means just laying low and hanging out in your hotel room and just conserving energy until your competition. And then generally you fly out the next morning at like 8am. So you don't have any time to experience anything cool um, when you're in these amazing cities. So when I'm done running, I would love, like I would absolutely love to be able to travel the world and go back to all these cool places and actually like take in some of the culture and, uh, just do some fun things and kind of experience the cities um, that I've kind of just been forced to uh, pass up, I guess. But the great thing about all of this is I've only been doing this for five months <laughs> and I still have seen I, Flagstaff. I've in seen Flagstaff, but I don't, I guess just having this last race in, under my belt I don't feel like I'm making more sacrifice than I did. I feel like I made more sacrifices as as a bagger at King Supers uh, than I do as a pro runner, uh, just because I can see the reward. Well, yeah, it's it's worth it. I'm not saying it's not worth it. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't pass this up for anything. You give you give me the opportunity to do this. A million other times and i'd i'd do it every single time uh, i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying there's there's a lot of things that i've not been able to do that i'm really looking forward to doing when i'm done running um but i, I love the professional runner's lifestyle uh, i love like pushing my body to the limit and um seeing how fit i can get over the course of my career and and a given season okay all right <laughs> well, that's great I'm, I'm just saying i'm just saying 
like there's a lot of awesome <laughs> grabbing the mic parts of this job but there's also a lot of fun things that i miss being able to do yeah we're like we're we're, we're giving up our youth like yeah i mean like, we can't go like go backpacking you know yeah. i guess we sort of can for yeah 10 you, days. you've got you've got like three weeks where that's or a couple months of the year where that's like feasible but a lot of those falls i spent like jumping right back into school and like didn't really have the option of going on vacation or taking long trips because I was always like just jumping either back into school or back into training. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, plenty of people have much harder lives. This is, it's not a hard life. Yeah. Okay. That was was a dumb question. I obviously, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's great. It's great. That's why we're doing this. All right. So we have time to, to sit on, talk on a podcast, do about, a podcast yeah. at 1130 at night. Yeah. It's getting kind of late. So I guess I have to ask you, um, this is for your grandkids out there. My, uh, my grandkids. Yes. Or baby just Jagers. grandkids in general. Well, wait, did your wife keep your last name? Not yet. She hasn't changed it over. Okay. So whoever this is, the, the, the descendants of Evan Jager. They, they will be Jagers. Probably. <laughs> they will be little Jagers. We're going to have to ask her. So, uh, what do you, where do you see yourself doing for the next, in, in 50 years, what would you have said that you did? Um, I'll be 75-ish. Sure. Um, hopefully I'll, I will have retired by then. Um, from running. From everything. Okay. <laughs> 75? <laughs> hey. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I can... So my my wife is Swedish. Uh, so I, I could definitely see us living in Sweden either at that point in my life or ha- like having lived in Sweden for a, like a long period of time. Um, and I think I will have coached track and field to some extent um for a a good part of my post running career um i i think that's what i'm gonna enjoy doing most when i'm done running um i know that i want to stay in the sport uh it enjoy it so much i enjoy watching it i enjoy reading about it um i enjoy obviously competing in it and i think i will find a lot of uh joy out of working with younger kids and trying to develop them as better athletes and trying to help them realize their dreams and i think that um coaching would be an incredibly fun uh and incredibly rewarding uh job to be able to do when i'm done running and I, I think just engaging with athletes every day and trying to help them get better. And um, I think it would just be the, the same challenge in a, in a new way, kind of. Uh, I'm not the one putting in the work, but I'm helping them figure out how to become better. And um, yeah, I think, I think I would really enjoy it. All right. Well, I think that's going to conclude our podcast. 
Again, we're here in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. um, this was Evan Jager of Bowerman Track Club. And please, when you get the chance, uh, we went to some Indian place today because I'm, I don't eat meat, uh, and it's a vegetarian place. It's delicious. Yeah, we stuffed our faces. It was delicious. It's called AM Spices of India. Yeah, it was it was super good. I think we each got like three plates and stuffed our faces and rolled out of there. It's gonna be on your biography. My biography. This is a mini. Bi it was supposed to be a mini bio. I don't know how. Uh, if it is, but that's that's it. Oh, it was super good though. That's it for if you like Indian. <laughs> that's food. there forever. I mean, so, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. So, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Check again next month on Kittyus Magazine for uh, the next probably Bowerman man uh, to be interviewed. Hopefully, we'll get some other uh, athletes here. I think eventually we'll work our way to the women and then. Uh, move on to other groups. Uh, so send send out the word on this podcast and check out Kittyus Magazine for more. Mm -hmm.